0: Christopher and I, and all of us at TDPS, are still grieving the loss of my dear friend and our beloved premier party person, Ann Rice.
1: But my mother's literary legacy gave birth to a diverse and wonderful community of readers and fans who continue to celebrate her work online.
0: We invite you to join them on the Facebook page dedicated to Anne's legacy. That's where you'll receive the latest updates on new editions of her work and all the exciting changes coming to the AnnRice.com website.
1: Also on the Anne Rice Facebook page, you can join the mailing list to receive all the latest news and information about her forthcoming celebration of life in New Orleans. That's at facebook.com slash Anne Rice no spaces.
0: If you believe, as we do, that Anne's work is as immortal as her characters, then join us at Anne Rice fan page on facebook.com. See you there.
1: Eric. Yes, Christopher. Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. <laughs> ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned.
0: This was an ad?
1: Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw And you're listening to TDPS Presents
0: Christopher. And or... Eric. Guess who's back? Uh... <laughs> Mariah Carey. <laughs> no, she was never here. So never here. She can't be back. Here, yeah. she can't be back. Uh...
1: Uh, guess who's back yet? Yeah, keep guessing.
0: Uh, I'm going to guess it's Clark
1: Williams. It's Clark Williams.
0: Because it's Citizen Detective Month, and Absolutely, who else would we have but the ultimate, our ultimate citizen detective. If you're just
1: joining us and you don't know who Clark Williams is or who the fuck we are because our podcast got recommended to you by somebody. We
0: told you our names right up front, so you weren't paying attention. You need to pay better attention. That would be my tip.
1: Uh, we at the thedinnerpartyshow.com, which is the website where you can always find all of our episodes, we have a hub We have a section of episodes devoted to the murder and the solving of the murder of Billy Newton, which was a case we were very much involved in. It's been almost a year to the date that that story broke, that the case had been solved through a confession. And that confession was largely obtained because of the hard work of a man named Clark Williams. And
0: brilliance.
1: Uh, who has since gone on to be invited to consult on other cold case murders. And so he was here last week on a previous episode talking about two murders in the Midwest that he's consulting on. Now, this week, he is going to be talking to us about a case much closer to home with some stark similarities to the uh, Billy Newton murder.
0: And some real insights into... Clark's kind of amazing. Look at it, it, it's it's really phenomenal. We'll we'll let Clark explain it to you because he'll do a better job than we
1: will. Absolutely. Let's get him in here.
0: Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and everyone here at TDPS would like to congratulate my co-host and best friend, Christopher Rice also known as steamy romance author C. Travis Rice, on the publication of Sapphire Storm, the third novel in his Sapphire Cove series. Sapphire Storm is the drama-filled tale of a forbidden romance that exposes old secrets and incurs the wrath of the powerful and the famous. It went on sale March 7th. Along with the first two entries in the series, Sapphire Sunset and Sapphire Spring, it's available wherever ebooks are sold. Congratulations! see Travis Rice and congratulations Christopher
1: welcome back Clark Williams third appearance on the Christopher and Eric podcast
0: and uh, yeah the third of many more to come are <laughs> right. so. very much intrigued with you and with your methodology
1: yeah on our last episode, we talked about the cases, uh, the cold cases that you've been working on in mm-hmm. Michigan, the murders of two different women, unrelated cases that you've both been giving your time and attention to. And I think to. it's
0: worth noting that we first met you. Yes. Because you came to help us with the Billy Newton case. That's right. Um, Kind of on your own, just from hearing about us, you, there was, Rachel Mason had yes. placed an ad in your. In a
2: Facebook group of the Gay History of Wisconsin.
1: Yeah. She had taken a a, a lead or we thought something that Uh we had generated here on the show, which is that someone claimed to have seen someone strikingly uh, resembling Jeffrey Dahmer in the West Hollywood nightclub Mm -hmm. with Billy Newton the night before uh, the night he disappeared. Uh, We were not entirely convinced it was Jeffrey Dahmer, but we were convinced that this individual had seen Billy Newton leave the bar with somebody who did not appear in the police files that we had been able to see.
0: Even right. him being there didn't appear in the files. Yeah. We had
1: not simultaneously been able to completely and definitively rule out that Jeffrey Dahmer could have been in Los Angeles at the time of Billy Newton's right. murders, which was something we had hoped to do right away when that lead had come right. in, which we did then you and didn't everyone not We couldn't do it. There was a gap in Dahmer's killings in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. He had California connections. He was on parole. All this sort of stuff. So we were putting that out there because we knew it would continue the conversation about the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rachel Mason, who uh, was also looking into the case, she took that information, she posted it in this group, and right. you immediately said this is nobody in this group is going to want to talk about jeffrey that's right i I was i was was concerned about rachel because i
2: thought these these guys in, in the gay community in Milwaukee are not going to be happy about someone from Los Angeles posting yeah. this. And I felt very defensive and I wanted to protect her. I'd seen her documentary and I'm like, I <laughs> right. really like her and I don't yeah. want to see her get hurt. <laughs> right. And so I tried to intervene as best as I could because that I was so living in Milwaukee in 1991. Mm-hmm. And I'm very familiar with Jeffrey Dahmer because I went to the same bars and nightclubs he did. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I call myself lucky. I'm not a victim because I don't think I was his type. And yep. I think that helped me. Clearly. Um, but uh, I was there for the entire investigation, the trial, and the aftermath. And so I'm, I'm very familiar with Jeffrey Dahmer.
1: And so all of the that entire journey that we have been on with you and with Rachel and with the memory of Billy Newton is available at thedinnerpartyshow.com. We had to put all of our Billy Newton episodes together on one page because they were starting to pile up, and we ah, wanted them to be easily. One of them is
0: an interview with Clark.
1: Accessible, yes. One of them is an interview with Ooh. you right after the LA Times broke the story that the case had been solved largely through your efforts. So we're going to give your you the amazing good. methodology. Yeah. And so, but you—we talked last week about that methodology as yeah. it as you've applied it to two cold cases in the Midwest. Now mm-hmm. we're coming closer to home. You've been looking into a murder that happened. Is it too much to say it happened here in West Hollywood or close it, to West Hollywood? And
2: a lot—you're This case is going to be strangely familiar with the same themes as we on. Unwrapped during the Billy Newton case,
0: and from several other cases that we have seen and talked about mm-hmm. and reported on, and even been had inspired by. Like, was this the guy? Was this mm-hmm. the guy? Because there were so many similarities. Yes, it, yeah, it is. And I think what
2: they, what attracted me to this was I found this case through the investigation of the Billy Newton case, and mm. it, and uh, from there were certain elements of this case that that. Um, tracked the work I had done on the Newton case, including a connection to Fresno, which as you may remember, uh, Dahmer's mother, Joyce, lived in Fresno. Right. And
1: there was, around the time of Dahmer's arrest, a severed foot that had been found That's in right. Fresno that was investigated for possible connections to Jeffrey Dahmer and a potential California murder yes. for him. Okay. And I
2: had, I had driven yeah. to Fresno and spent a whole day there, um, finding every place that Joyce lived. And so I had been familiar with Fresno looking, trying to track down that foot. And I did find whose foot that belonged to, (laughs) by the way. Um, But so so this case, when it sort of showed up in my lap, uh, I thought, okay, here's the universe speaking to me in some way. Um, I also, I think in the Newton case, in order to really understand uh, the victimology of of Billy, um, I had to understand what life was like in the 1980s in West Hollywood for young gay men. And I did not live here. Um, mm. It's my generation, but I wasn't familiar with it. You know, I fled my farm community in uh, 1991. I flew fled to Milwaukee. But lots of gays and lo- gay men uh, fled to other urban environments, including West Hollywood. But because of the Newton case, I had familiarized myself a lot with the challenges that young gay men were facing in, in West Hollywood during the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And so because of that knowledge that I developed, it sort of opened up, some possibilities with me on this case
1: so let me set you up here with sort of the bare details of this case in august of 1987 the remains of 18 year old tracy newt a teenage runaway from kansas city missouri were found scattered alongside interstate 5 from los angeles to fresno that is a long distance that is about a five-hour yeah. drive do scatter
2: do scattered remains sound familiar yes yes <laughs> oh my we, god i mean from so many several stories cases
1: yeah At the same time these remains were being discovered, an equipment rental company in West Hollywood, which is where we do this show, contacted law enforcement after finding what appeared to be Blood and flesh.
0: Was it Annawalt?
1: On I, a, r- I don't, I don't remember the name of the story. It's not there
2: anymore. But, okay. let,
1: let me finish out the story. On a rented chainsaw, which was returned, they yes. found this return. blood and flesh. Yes. This is reminding me of Eric Shaquin's history of living at Ridgeway and all the stuff people tried to return. Never <laughs> a, a chainsaw with blood and flesh on it. I bet. <laughs>
0: Yeah. No, no. We the worst I ever got was somebody tried to return a Christmas tree after Christmas, and I said, <laughs> I said "You know, we don't consider a lot of sales final here at, at Target." But, um, yeah. but that tree was actually dead when you bought it. So,
1: <laughs> no. Um, so, so okay. There, that, that's the beginning of this story. Take us into it.
2: So, this is a case that, frankly, for me, it's lacking a body. We have tracing the Tracy New. Uh, victim. Right. Right. He was, when police served a search warrant um, of the person who returned the chainsaw, it pointed us into the apartment of someone named Max Bernard Frank. And Max Frank uh, was a professor, a 57-year-old college professor from Fresno State. So Fresno is, what, two hours away from here. He apparently had a home in Fresno, but he rented an apartment since 1981 on Genesee uh, in West Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I was wondering. I was yes. imagining where he was living. Yes, it was like a block away yeah. from Santa Monica Boulevard. Right. When they served this search warrant, they found blood evidence of Tracy Newt, and so they connected that with the remains that had been found along a 200-mile stretch of Interstate 5, and they realized that Tracy Newt had been in this apartment, and likely it was where the murder occurred. Um, at the same time uh, that they found Max Frank there, uh, they also found nearly 1,000 photographs— of young um, men and boys uh, without clothes on, engaged videos, having mm. them involved in sexual activity.
0: This um, is one of the largest
2: pornographic connections they'd ever very seen Very creepy, right? Like when, super and creepy.
1: underage boys. Underage it? boys, yeah.
2: exactly. Mm. Now, just to take you back to the Newton case, you know, part of the work on that Newton case that, that we all did was could Billy Newton's case have been involved with any other Killer, Mm -hmm. right? What's surprising? Max Frank was never considered at all in the Newton case, or or that there was even any even discussion of this case in the Newton files, right? So because um, it was
0: almost it was pretty contemporaneous. It was was only three years earlier
1: in 1987. Mm -hmm. uh, Billy's case is 1990. Correct. So Max Frank is already in prison by the time Max
2: Frank is already in prison. But there was a lot. What what I. What I had discovered in the Max in the Max Frank case is really what I'd also discovered in the Billy Newton case, um, was the random street attacks happening against gay men yeah. in West Hollywood, and particularly the uh, the most vulnerable um, young men and boys who were hustling on Santa Monica. Black I was Park.
0: thinking when you said that address, hustl- um Hunter. Hunter, the Hunter Bar or Hunter's mm-hmm. Bar used Hunters. to be was right there, right, um, and that was very much one, the, the, one of the Hustler Bars, one of the two Hustler Bars that I knew of. There was um, Hunter's and what was the other one that was fancier? Well, numbers. Numbers. Numbers and numbers. hunters were the two. Yeah. Numbers was a little more upscale. Hunters was right. much more of a of a sort of drop by, yeah. get a little extra work. Kind of what what, what day, what, what, what time of
2: day or night you went, right? Yeah. On where you
0: that went. and um and and the park, Plummer Park right. at and lunchtime. And we're
2: talking hundreds of men and boys who mm-hmm. left rural communities like the one I was from, um and came to urban environments to find safety to find opportunity they were leaving behind terrible lives at a Prejudice and discrimination, finding a sense of community here in West Hollywood. Yes, and also it is Hollywood, so people mm-hmm. were coming here to find fame and fortune. Sure, and not finding it, or finding it on Santa Monica Boulevard,
0: Right. or finding a different fortune or a different fame than they'd originally thought. Right. So
1: this is the world in which Tracy Newt is living when he yes. is ab- presumably abducted and murdered.
0: Correct. So when I
2: when I began to look at this case, I, um, you know, as you know, I typically start with a victimology. And I did that with Tracy Newt mm-hmm. and I went back to Kansas City, Missouri, discovered everything about Tracy's life. Um, his life was very similar to the life that Billy had, the life that I had growing up, um, growing up in a conservative family. He had, was troubled oftentimes, um, had, they couldn't stay in school. And uh, so he fled and he fled to, to um, Hollywood right. in order to become an actor. Like a lot of these young guys, right? right? Become an actor. He was only here four months before he somehow, while hustling, God was picked up by Max Frank, uh, taken back to his apartment, and uh, that's
0: where he was murdered. So you have no doubt it's Max Frank. Mac is, Max is, is your guy like, well, that's for this co- crime. Like... You know,
2: it's interesting you ask, you say that, Eric, because um, he was convicted of the crime. Right now, Max Frank's defense was very clear. When Max Frank was questioned by authorities, he said, "Okay, I dismembered the corpse. I distributed the corpse. I mean, parts of the corpse were found near Fresno, right? The gun that was used in the crime was found in his home in Fresno. He claims he did not commit this crime. He says that someone named Terry Adams was Hmm. the one who actually committed the crime, Now, I was also aware, as you know, that Daryl Madden was in Mm. West Hollywood in 1987. So I've always kind of left that out there. Like, well, could Daryl Madden possibly be involved? I don't think so. Daryl Madden was 17. He was hustling. He was hustling right along with Tracy Newt on Mm. Santa Monica Boulevard at the same time. But Mm. Terry
0: Adams was a um, 30-year-old hustler, also a hustler, but but somebody much— more of age than, That's correct. than, than, than Daryl Lynn would have been at that moment. But there, and there, the defense made
2: great effort to try to find this Terry Adams. Uh, they even presented evidence from some of Max Frank's friends that said, yes, we actually met Terry Adams. Oh, and I didn't know that. Yeah, we met him. We saw him. But Terry Adams never presented himself. No, there was no evidence. The the prosecution in the case said, listen, this is a figment of Max Frank's mind he doesn't exist. But, He's the one that did
1: this. But Max is basically saying these two hustlers were in my apartment. One of them killed the other. And on yes. behalf of the one maybe that I was really sweet on, I agreed to get rid of this body and chop it up and dump it along Interstate 5. Is that a version of the story? or it, it, That's pretty much it. Yeah. And
2: of course, what I know about how – and I think this is where, again, I sort of try to bring my knowledge about how murders occur, right? Mm-hmm. Because is this a crime of passion, right? Well, there's a lot of crimes in this case, there's the crime of you know finding Tracy Newt, and by the way, Tracy went by the name of Kevin when he was hustling. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to Daryl Madden, you know, went by right. different names. He went by Richie Rich. He went by all sorts of aliases. Right. Um, this case involves the this, this, this same issue: lots of aliases. Um, and then there's the crime of killing Tracy Newt, mm-hmm. and then there's the crime of dismembering the corpse and distributing the remains, right. and right. then it's- covering it up. Like it's there's so many parts of committing an act of murder. And so I'm looking at all of them. But what stuck out to me in this case was no one just starts killing at 57 years of age in such a brutal way. Mm. Like I I I thought wait a minute. Finding all those photographs of all those men and boys. Right. And and videos and and, and apparently according to the public information that's available is that these men and boys were all men and boys that were picked up along Santa Monica Boulevard. And Max Frank paid them, brought them to his apartment, and the only record we have of them are these photographs. Um, and what I knew is, just as all those men and boys were flocking to West Hollywood, and the Castro, and Greenwich mm-hmm. Village, and all these sort of gay right. neighborhoods, Boys Town in Chicago. Sure, I was going to say
1: Boys Town. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, so were people that wanted to commit Acts of Predators. violence against yeah. them. Absolutely. And so not only was, was Max Frank or Daryl Madden or, um, uh, you know, there have been a range of ser- serial killers um, that have been involved on Santa Monica Boulevard. Right. Um, that's what I began to question was, could Max Frank be an unknown serial killer? hmm Why do we think this was just a one-off
0: case? And it was such a strange case because everybody who knew Max said this can't possibly be Max. Yeah. This is the gentlest, mm-hmm. kindest, least confrontative. You – in our last week we were talking about people demonstrating a propensity right. to uh, to be violent, to have a violent history, to right. have the – to not you know, they might be criminal, but are they criminal and capable of this kind of extreme violence against another person? And – To a man, everybody who knew Max said, not him. This is not your guy. The
1: judge in the case, you sent us an L.A. Times article from 1988, which I was reading, and I'm like, am I reading homophobia or am I reading a recognition (laughs) of what Eric just described? Which is the judge is saying, essentially, I can't understand how you committed these crimes. There's a side of you that's very smart and very good. And you're going to jail for the rest of your life, and so I hope you spend your time in jail educating other prisoners yeah. who are in jail. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait We're a talking minute. about a case with a <laughs> chainsaw. like. But clearly, he had made some kind of impression through the course of his trial on the judge them, themselves. I think people you know. have
2: this, this idea that they can identify a killer. Right. right? But the reality is, is why— why Daryl Madden was able to get away with all the murders he committed. And not just murders, but, I mean, he committed violent crimes every year of his life until he was finally incarcerated.
1: And if you will, just for a minute, I want to remind people of what we were looking at with Daryl. Daryl Madden's Madden's Mm -hmm. ultimate confession was that uh, they, who they identified as a male Mm -hmm. at the time of the killings, now they've transitioned and identify as female. uh, They were participating in skinhead initiation rites, Mm -hmm. doing gay porn by day, running with skinheads at night, and that Billy's murder was, a, was an initiation involving two other skinheads, Daryl Lynn claims or confessed to strangling Billy to death and says to this day that they had absolutely nothing to do with the dismemberment and disposal of right. the body. And we know the only remains ever recovered were <laughs> Billy's head and feet. Right. So, I, you know, my thing is I think Daryl Lynn's full of shit, yeah. pardon me, yeah. my language, but <laughs> I think th- they were absolutely involved in the disposal of the body. But it's sort of the reverse of yeah. what we're talking about with uh, Max Frank. Where, no, I was involved in the disposal of the body, but I didn't have anything to do with the murder. So you exactly. think it's
0: equally as full of shit. Or yeah. it, 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 <laughs> there's
1: either that or if it was Daryl Lynn, Daryl Lynn was really good at convincing other people to dispose of the victims of what, their crimes. What
2: I like to do in my work is I like to, I like to uncover the shit part. I like yeah. to cover the evidence that this person that they claim could not have done it. And then I find out, well, yes, they could. And let me give an example in this right. case. So in the public information and in the defense yes. of Max Frank, his sister stepped forward. Right. And said, there is no way that this sweet, mild-minded guy could have ever used the chainsaw, would have even known what to do with a chainsaw. Well, I did an offender profile mm. of him. I went back multiple generations to the Max Frank family. And guess where it takes me? To Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now, of course, I know Green Bay, Wisconsin. Billy and I were from that neck of the woods, so I was very drawn to it, understood (laughs) it. You were were
0: wearing a Green Bay jacket when you came in. Exactly, go
2: Packers. But what I discovered in Max Frank's family, who is well-educated, he has a Ph.D., taught political science at Fresno State, but that's not where he began. He began working in his family's business. His family's business, they were butchers. Oh,
1: for Christ's God. sake! And the sister is getting up there. The seat. same as yeah. the family yes.
2: from uh, what's and even Leatherface, right? That? The Texas, Texas Chainsaw. Massacre. Massacre. Even the prosecutor didn't present yeah. this evidence in the court. Oh my so, God! So yeah, multiple generations of running a butcher shop. Yes. Yeah, so,
0: wow. Really, some plenty of experience <laughs> in cutting things up with a chainsaw, then. I, well, you know, we've
1: talked to cops, and I think the same way. Like, does it? It's very rare that the accused family. Come forward and says, take him. We- right. <laughs> Unless you're talking Please. about just the most extreme case. Dahmer's family didn't issue a defense. Dahmer's father mm-hmm. said, I was telling people for years, my father, uh, my son yeah. was damaged, he was mentally ill, he needed better care, and he was going to do something dangerous. But for the most part, the Night Stalker's family showed up in court and, and, yeah. and supported him and all this sort of stuff. So, I mean, I, I guess they can play a role in sentencing, but mm-hmm. when it comes to providing evidence, I mean, one of the cops we've talked to, in, in relation to the Billy Newton case, said anybody can find an alibi. An alibi, yeah. your your lover or your sister says you were home with them that night is not a good alibi. You were seen by 20 people in a, in a public place at right. the time of the crime. That's a good alibi. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised by that, but I think it's great that you're uncovering the shit. Uh, yeah.
0: I think the most full of shit thing that, that, that this case <laughs> revealed was the gay rage. Oh, yeah. Charge? Homosexual rage. Oh, my God. I thought... I'm going to have to... No, just don't get excited. This was a long time ago. Surely, surely, this is not a thing still, but... Yeah. yeah, Like, clearly he did... Seems pretty clear to me that he did this. Yes. that, That he did this, but... Gay rage?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I have, I, listen, I'm a gay man. I I do experience rage I've when I upset. when I don't get a
1: brunch appointment.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> if anyone disses Mariah Carey, right. I will get a rage fault, right. but I, I do not kill. Yes. Don't <laughs> but kill I
1: I feel gay rage when I hear gay rage used as a defense or a prosecuting <laughs> but the strategy.
0: description of it's because the the combination of feminine qualities with the homosexuality is like are you kidding? So you've got male rage combined with feminine qualities. So women would be chainsaw killers yes. if mm-hmm. they had more testosterone? Is that what you're saying? Because right. they're so emotionally out of control that, mm-hmm. that added to the male... It was, I, it was very popular back It was the, most, like, it was the then. most insulting. Like, the largest number of people we can possibly offend yes. right. with a single defense was well, this. Well, it is, it is people
1: talking about a group of people about which they have almost no credible information Mm -hmm. you know and so they're engaging in voodoo science and witchcraft and uh, rampant speculation and pop psychology and it's fascinating i think to look at in retrospect because what you hear is a guilty conscience on the part of the person making that accusation Mm -hmm. clearly if if they're being treated the way i treat gay people they would experience (laughs) rage all the time and it's like yeah 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 i think that that makes a lot of sense dude You know, but I think in this particular case, what was fascinating to me was that he attempted, I think, as part of his defense, to Mm -hmm. present himself as, quote, a moral homosexual. Oh, yes, very much so. That was actually the words he used, which means he was not engaging in a lot of promiscuous sex. So all these esoteric. A voyeur, voyeur, not a participant. He was a voyeur, not a participant. So you don't believe anything of this. You think he's a prolific serial killer, is what you think.
2: I think, well, I'm looking for bodies. OK, right. I'm looking for bodies at this point. And what I did with him was I tracked everything about him his what he was like growing up his yearbook photos everywhere. He went to school. He went to college in Madison on UW Madison, where I also lived. And so I'm very familiar with that. Right. Um, and then found out where he lived and then he joined the military. It's interesting. I think of every and I've worked half a dozen cases now. Almost every one of my perpetrators has served in the armed forces.
0: Well, you learned – uh, my, my father a, used to say I was a hired killer, and yeah. then I, mm-hmm. you know, moved on yeah. and was in counseling and Again, it doesn't mean like, that
2: if you served in the service, you're going to become a killer, but um, mm-hmm. it's in, an interesting relationship. And yes. I kind of noted that as I've it gone on It is along. a
0: profession where you're actually being – trained right. to kill and then he found himself
2: uh in uh virginia because he had been stationed there and after the service he stayed there and lived in newport news and was very active in community theater um and have found all sorts of plays well, that he that's, belonged where, in. that's where your gay rage really yeah, is that's that's exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah. hiding himself out in community theater right um but at the end i think he was also an academic he ended up uh, going to um to Massachusetts, to Harvard for his graduate degree and then his PhD at New York University, where I also uh, did my um, postgraduate work as oh. well, I was at NYU. So I'm, these are all places that I knew and thought, OK, some reason the universe is sending me to Max Frank. I mm. don't usually like that with perpetrators. but right. um, And then he, in 1969, began working at Fresno State and uh, bought a home there. And then in 1981, rented an apartment in West Hollywood. One of these things that I found fascinating, because I now troll the internet looking for anyone who might know him. Now, Max Frank died in 1997, died right. from a heart attack. Was anyone who possibly could have known him? Right. Because these people don't exist in some vacuum, right? They, they engage with their world. Same thing with Daryl Madden, right? Or, or any of the, the, the people we've talked about, the victims as well as the, the perpetrators. So I've been trying to find people who may have known him. Most of all of his family have passed away now of Max Frank's family. I have no one to talk to. Um, But I do find various comments. And so, as you know, in the Newton case where I looked at Reddits and subreddits and sub subreddits, Mm -hmm. I've done the same thing in Max Frank's case. And I found a fascinating piece of evidence that gives me some insight into Max Frank. I Mm. think you guys would really enjoy this. Yes. Because I know how much you enjoy uh, with your writing and with horror Mm. films and the whole genre. Yes. Turns out, The home he owned in Fresno, Um, I found a a report of a guy who said he had been inside that home as a teenage boy. Oh, boy. He had been drawn to it by a friend. So Max Frank, while he's a professor at Fresno State, is inviting these teenage boys into his home. Sound familiar, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And was... Engaged with them talking about horror films. Apparently, he was a huge fan of horror films. Oh. And what he put as a, a significant profile in his living room was... Room was a poster of a film called The Day of the Locust.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. Are you
2: familiar with that movie?
0: I am. That, that's um, John Schlesinger. Yes, a John Schlesinger film with yes. Karen Black, who yes. I love, by the way. Yeah, I absolutely adore Karen Black.
2: So I have, it was 1975. The
0: conclusion of that movie is one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen the in my life. The destruction
2: of Los Angeles. Oh, my God. And it's sort of a horror film, but not. But it's what it really is is a cautionary tale about Hollywood itself. Hmm. That's what's fascinating about that film. So I've had to go back and find it. Yes. Because I'm like, well, why did The Day of the Locust carry such a profile in Max Frank's life? Absolutely. And what it told me was it gave me clues into Max Frank, right, about Dash dreams that he had. But it also, that film also involves sex work. Mm. Karen Black's character literally begins prostituting, begins hustling. Um, the main character murders a child. Like there's death, destruction, yeah. gore all in this John Schlesinger film.
0: Very disturbing movie. And it was
2: very much a part of the way Max Frank, I think, saw his life. Shortly after that, he now rents an apartment a block off Santa Monica Boulevard.
1: And is he leaving Fresno when he does this, or is it like a pied-à-terre? A a -a pied-à-terre, exactly.
2: So he would spend weekends. He'd drive down and spend weekends. Uh, According to the court transcripts from the trial, he would then begin sort of picking up these guys on Santa Monica Boulevard, bringing them back to his apartment, filming them, uh, photographing them, and then they just sort of disappeared into the night. Mm. Now, as you guys know, that you know there were hundreds of these homeless guys on right. Santa Monica Boulevard. Most of them are dead. Uh, if you were prostituting on Santa Monica Boulevard in the 1980s, you likely mm-hmm. died from AIDS right. or a drug overdose. And so it's hard to know whatever became of them. But I have to believe that some may have survived. Some may have known about Max Frank, had seen him. Um, had, had gone to his, yes. apartment. someone made up these, this thousand photographs. I mean, yeah. what happened to Who these were, guys? Where
0: are these thousand people? We, there are, there are two things mm-hmm. that I, that have really stood out to me hmm. as I, as I've looked at it, uh, at, at, from just the little information that you sent, um, the first one, and I don't know if this is something you'd considered because of the sort of ephemeral nature of Terry Adams, mm-hmm. I've. I've wondered if you've considered dissociative personality mm. oh. as a part of it, right. that that it was another version of Max who was the murderer or who was the pornographer right. or who was whatever, that he was indulging and protecting. And the other thing that really stood out to me was when they were talking about the, the, the inexperience with the chainsaw that mm-hmm. he apparently went and took lessons for at yeah. the, the rental place is that he paved his yard right. in Fresno. Now, if you were going to bury a bunch of bodies in your yard, mm-hmm. I would think paving your yard would be a thing that you might do. I, and I the
2: backyard, apparently, there was a small backyard which was just covered in black plastic
0: as well, the That's backyard. That's so, like... Did they dig up his yard? Like, did then, is that the house ever happened? is still there?
2: Just... I've looked at it, it's still there. Um, what I also find interesting about the house in Fresno is that he was also constructing a soundproof room <gasps> in the house at the time of his arrest. <laughs> I know. Yes. Oh my God. And this is what bothers me, you guys, is that it appears to be that there was no real active effort. To identify any other missing people associated with Max
0: Frank. Even right. though they had all of those photographs. All those photographs. Where are the photographs?
2: Well, I have, you know, because of the work I do with the LAPD, I engage with the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. That was the jurisdiction that had yeah. authority over this yeah, case. Angeles,
0: Hollywood, sure. Uh,
2: last month I did raise this with a, a homicide detective with LASD who was not working there in 1987. But yeah. I just said, what do you think the chances are that this was a one off? He goes, no chance at all. Yeah. So we're all on the same page. Yes. The question is, to conduct an investigation, you need a body. You need to have somebody. I need somebody. And so that's what— I recommend
0: what... The Yard in Fresno.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, but it's but you need—to do an investigation, the process is you actually have to show, have evidence that there was a murder that was committed. And what's lacking is, you know, what I'm hoping maybe by talking about this on your program is that— Anyone that might have information, someone that they know and loved who came to West Hollywood and disappeared, never to be heard from again. Mm -hmm. Um, If they possibly could just contact me and let me know Mm -hmm. their
1: story. Mm -hmm.
0: We have an email address, don't we?
1: We still have the email account for billing. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, we
0: still. What's that? Do we remember that address? Well, look it up. Look it up. But yeah, like you could write to us if you want, if you have, if you know something, if you were working in the sex work business right. at the time, or you might have known Max Frank, or you might have known somebody who knew Max Frank, or you right. lost a friend who right. knew Max or, Frank. Or, or may
2: have had your photograph taken by him. I mean, he he didn't start just doing this work in 1981.
1: William Newton investigation. At gmail.com. That's all one word. William Newton Investigation. Yes, absolutely. I think that – have you looked at all at the Kristen Smart case, which was a very high-profile story? Because that is one where I believe they just got a conviction and they never found the body. Yeah. And it's an unbelievable uh, example of how you can compile Mm -hmm. enough circumstantial evidence to the point that a a tenant – at a home where they had reason to believe she might have been buried, was hearing a beeping every morning at 4.30 a.m. from the yard that she couldn't identify, which sounded like a digital watch, and 4.30 a.m. was the time Kristen woke up each morning to go mm. swim at the university pool. That was, I mean, it took years, right. but I think they eventually got a conviction without ever finding her body. Right. They still haven't found her body. He yeah. still won't say where the body say. is, even though it looks to everyone with you know, clear eyes that, right. that he's guilty. So there, there is, uh, you know, we're evolving in terms right. of investigative techniques.
0: Did they get his father? I th- think— Or just him? Because his I, you know, father I, I, was maybe right. involved in involved, helping, helping him. Helping hide the,
1: oh, he showed up to be interrogated by the police with injuries that were clearly construction-related. Right. And had been repaving—that's what made me think of it. They had been repaving a yard at, right. the, at the family home. So I don't know if you're familiar with that case and if there's anything that, that might illuminate a process for you with I this I mean, I, one, I think
2: it's hard for law enforcement, right, because the perpetrator we're talking about is dead, and you can't prosecute a dead person. You can't, no. no. So, you know, this is—for me, this goes back to really why I do this work, why I volunteer my time, is justice for the victims. Right. Like, if there's some peace we can bring to a family member— Tracy Newt's mother knows who killed her son. Yes, right. and thank there's, goodness. There's, there's peace that comes with that, least, some solace for that. At least. And there are all these other families that I can't help. I, like, my heart breaks for them. I, it's, yeah. it's why I do this work. I I, I feel compelled to try to help, help deliver justice for, for their loved ones, as well as telling the stories of all those young men. Because what I find in all of my cases— with a perpetrator. This isn't the only crime they've committed. No, Max Frank committed lots of crimes that may not have even been murder. Right. Right. But he took advantage of these young men and boys, um, you know, on Santa Monica Boulevard. Right. Um, and of course, had, there was no justice for that, right. for those, for those boys. And there were so many of these in these urban neighborhoods uh, during that time, you know, another case that you may be familiar with is the serial killer,
1: William Bonin, who yeah, I was killed in 1881. Bon- that was only six years earlier and didn't work alone.
0: Did right, not work alone. and that
1: was the thing that I was thinking. I, I we we looked at William Bonin and Randy Kraft in the Billy Newton yes, case, but they were the both in jail by that car. time. But William Bonin was in a van. He had proteges, and I always thought, did he train Billy's killer? Right, you know, like, and because there was this sense of it is this outlaw community that they were living in to begin with. It's not like the BTK killer where he was sort of stalking the suburbs of a city. They're already in inter- they're already on the edges of society. It's Santa Monica Boulevard. It's people who kind of dropped off the grid. Yeah it's safer for them to find like minds in this kind of mm-hmm. environment. I just, you know, and that's why I think was this guy and t- maybe Terry Adams is sort of an accomplice Could and, uh, as well as a companion. And anyway,
0: and yes. we, there was that case that we found the, um, the, uh, the trash bag. The trash oh, bag Oh, yeah, killer. the one right. where
1: we really thought—I yeah. thought you reached out to us yes, about that when you right. heard we our episode. We thought yeah.
0: that partner was yeah. like, mm, that is really— I was, mean, there were so the, many the, of these folks the buzzing around. And the, the, we, d- we covered the case, the last call killer in um, yeah, in, New, in York. New York, where they were d- taking right. the body parts out and distributing them through the um, through the community. It was a totally different— Now, what's interesting,
2: uh, the, the prosecutor in the William Bonin case was the same prosecutor in the Max Frank
1: case. Oh, wow. yeah. Oh, exactly. Wow. So
2: he was very in tune with homosexual rage. He used the same sort of di- sort of the same prosecutorial mm. effort.
1: There's there's nothing rageful <laughs> about going out in a methodical manner and hiring someone so that you can then kill them. That's right. not rage. Exactly. That's right. psychopathy. That's right. You, and it's no different from when you know Ted Bundy did it, or right. when or you Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeff- I mean, that was my
2: frustration in Milwaukee when that was being framed as. Well, what do you expect? You know, if you're going to be gay, you're going to be a victim of homicide.
1: I'll tell you, the one that sent my Honestly. my liberal progressive father over the edge was when commentators, when Andrew Cronanin was on the run, yeah. that Andrew Cronanin would be sheltered by the gay community, yes. as if, as if we would have said, "Oh, there's that spree killer. Let's right. let's give him a drink and a place to crash. He's right. gay like us." It was oh just outrageous. My God, just yeah. completely.
0: Yeah. Uh, just anyway, yeah. so no, no, no. It,
1: it, i mean—that's the hazard of going back and looking at—is our Tiling gay range, <laughs>
2: and and in fact, you know, when you look at 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 my generation of of young gay men, and there was a generation ahead of me that are very familiar with those young men on Santa Monica Boulevard yes. because they hired them. Yeah, and so that is the truth about our community, mm-hmm. and that we sometimes don't always treat our most vulnerable with the compassion that they deserve to have. Mm-hmm. And so I don't believe in throwaway people, right? I and th- their stories haunt me. Of those boys, most of whom died from AIDS, were not murdered, right? But um, their lives mattered.
1: Mm-hmm. You they, know, they just, really mattered. And I would also say on the other side of it that a lot of the people doing the hiring, because they already felt like criminals, mm-hmm. we talk about this all yeah. the time, they thought, oh, it's not so bad. If they weren't abusing the boys, if they paid right. their bill, they mm-hmm. were thinking we're all kind of in this exiled yeah. soup together. Yes. You know, we're all outcasts. But Have there were bad th- actors out if there. If you've
0: thrown people out of society, then- mm-hmm. All of their behavior is antisocial, whether right. it's yeah. whether it's negative or positive, because you pushed them out of society to begin with. That's yeah. that that creates a really strange environment. I I had like some of the notions in and around um, Kevin Spacey's defense mm-hmm. of himself. Mm-hmm. I have I I've had you know a moment of like there was a sense of because I thought of being a young person at the time that they're talking about it, and. It was a, the, the 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 boundaries were more fluid because right. we were anything you did was illegal to right. begin with. Right. Yeah. So the fact that maybe somebody I was hitting on was mm-hmm. inappropriately older right. than me, or somebody who was hitting on me was inappropriately older than me, didn't matter as much right. to me because even if they had been. Exactly, born on the same day I was. Yeah. It, it was would still, still illegal, illegal exactly. was for still whatever illegal. for us to do whatever it was we were going to do. Yeah. So that I can see where those lines would be really blurry, and right. that would create an environment where people who really are bad actors,
1: absolutely, yes. who
0: you know, Kevin Spacey may well yes, be, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, is, is, is certainly mm-hmm. could. Operate with impunity because almost because who's to stop them? What's to say what's illegal I, if everything mm-hmm. already is?
1: Absolutely, and the, I always think of the rest stop example. Let's say you have a you have a closeted gay teenager who's underage who's got no outlet in his high school, but he knows that men are meeting for sex in a dangerous public place across town. So that's where he goes because he feels he can't take his boyfriend to the prom, mm-hmm. and he goes there and a predator a genuine mm-hmm. predator knows that he will right. be there and goes there to target him it doesn't mean all the men at that rest stop are predators Correct. you know it's a strange right. thing and yeah. i think if if you're invested in in protecting that young man, you should be about creating an environment in which mm-hmm. he can take his boyfriend to the prom. Absolutely. And we're way closer to that today than we were in 1987. Yes. 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 And so
2: in understanding this crime in that context, I think, is what's so important is what other—and we knew this about the the Newton case. I mean— Who were the predators in the Newton case that were were bouncing around West Hollywood? And there was an effort to always find that. I mean, that's really why Jeffrey Dahmer presented himself even back in 91, why the LAPD originally contacted the Milwaukee police in 91. It seemed to make sense. Yeah. Right?
0: Right. Um, Because Because somebody doing this sort of thing.
2: Right. And there was no shortage of individuals that were causing harm in our community yeah. and that was just the tip of the iceberg i mean i think what what struggles i've had in in the understanding the 1980s were those Random attacks, not from serial killers, but from white supremacists and other hate groups.
1: That knocked me sideways. I I've lived in Los Angeles for almost 20 years. You've lived here for longer than that. I didn't. I was not aware of skinhead initiation <laughs> rites being conducted in West Hollywood until you solved the Billy right. Newton case and pinpointed yeah, it was, Daryl and Madden. It was haunting. I mean, I I didn't know this was going on. Nobody yeah. had ever talked about this.
0: You didn't know? either. And I. But it it fits with the kind of random acts of violence. It's because
2: they know. Also, I think what happens with our Community is that we know this happened in the, in uh, Milwaukee when I was in Milwaukee after after uh, Dahmer was was in, became incarcerated was there was all this attention on our safe spaces the bars were promoted in the the news stories mm-hmm. and so our enemies knew where to find us absolutely now. we were and concentrated so in the a particular number of area. hate crimes like I remember coming out of the the bars and nightclubs in Milwaukee in 1991 and 92 being taunted by the police. Mm-hmm. Who were there to supposedly to protect us, or mm-hmm. by other groups that were coming in at two or three a.m. when the bars closed and beating us up because they knew where to find us? Yeah,
0: people. We had a, 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 I, my policy was to wave when people would drive down Santa Monica Boulevard and scream obscenities at us yeah. out the window. I would just wave like, "Ah, mm-hmm. right. oh, yeah, that's me. I'm that." Yeah, that's Absolutely. not how, that's not how I call it, yeah. but yeah, that's that's the general that's the general idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, because, yeah, they knew where we were. And
2: that's the gut punch with someone like Max Frank, right? Max Mm -hmm. Frank didn't kill a gay person because he was gay. He killed him because that's where he knew where to find him. Yes. He was a killer. Right. And that's the same with Dahmer. Dahmer took advantage of his role in our community. We gave him comfort and safety. And that's where he knew who We to We did us. an
1: interview with Dan Savage on our previous podcast, The Dinner Party Show, which is available on our website. And, and he said, I, we were talking about senses of community or an absence of a sense of community. And he said, point blank, he said, I do not take the attitude that all gay men are my brothers. Jeffrey Dahmer ate my friend Tony. Right. You know, oh, that was one of his no. formative experiences as a young man and a young gay man in the Midwest, you yeah. know, like so. And that that's a hard one because he, he came from within. And I don't think anybody we, we none of us wanted to talk about him because he was in the bars. He was presenting as a gay man looking mm-hmm. for romantic attractions. I mean, there was there's a the distinction between him in my head and and the guys in the car who who, you know, right. want to yeah, set like on you baseball with baseball bats, bats yeah. you know, like. That there's you want to talk about gay rage, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I feel when we talk about Darrell and Madden and and Max Bernard Frank. Because right. I do you believe Max Bernard Frank was homosexual?
2: Um, yes, yeah. I, I, I think he was homosexual. he was raised in a deeply Catholic community. He was born mm-hmm. in a small town called Merrill, which was not far from Ladysmith, where Billy and I grew up, and then he, his family moved to De Pere. very conservative, very Catholic. There was no opportunity for him, right? He was trying, though, right? He was going to Madison, which is – now, of course, it's very progressive. But he was constantly trying to find his community, right? But yet not really being able to do it. It was from a different generation um, as well.
0: And then practically – well, from almost before West Hollywood was founded, Mm -hmm. he found that he came here and took an apartment, yeah. So to, he could come here and be, like, I always tell people I moved to West Hollywood because I didn't want to be special. Like mm-hmm, I wanted to right. live somewhere where I was not special. Right. It was not unusual to right. be me um, in West Hollywood, and it was one of the big appeals. And I think the city was founded in
2: 85,
0: 86. Like, it was shortly like after. Yeah. If he took the place in 81. I find so what's
2: interesting about Max Frank, too, is, you know, I I, I do these family histories of, of the victims as well as the perpetrators to understand Max Frank. And that means going back to his his father and his father's father, you know, Max Frank Sr., um, was a photographer. Big surprise oh, that Max Frank Jr. would then, of course, take all mm, of these photographs. Oh, my God. Um, but his father was also an academic as well. So Max felt comfortable around academia. He was obviously very smart, very intelligent person. Yes. Um, so I think what I also, though— what I know is that you just don't start killing at that age if it's not a crime of passion, right? right. And so I cannot help but think that there might be other victims of Max
1: We We talked about, in the course of the, the Billy case, I found, I started, anything that I could find on the true crime channels that was gay victim, gay panic, whatever, yeah, yeah. I, fa- I, I watched it. And there was a case in Florida where I, it stuck in my brain because it was classic. Uh, It was a panic killing. I don't want to call it a gay panic killing. It was a gay man who hooked up with another gay man in a bar. They went home together. He clearly had a change of heart. And when the other man went in to get intimate with him, the other man, the killer, reacted. And you could completely see it in the crime scene. Sloppy, rushed, Mm -hmm. and then threw a blanket over the body, uh, ran out of the house, didn't clean up after himself. The exact opposite of cleanly mutilated remains being found in trash bags Mm -hmm. or distributed over a (laughs) 200-mile area up the center of the state of California. It's just, there. it's different. The the crimes don't look the same forensically. And so when you're talking about somebody like Max Frank, you're talking about somebody who plotted this down to the last detail.
2: And why would this have been a one-off event? Like, he clearly had, had solicited these young men and boys for years. Yeah. I think even before he came to West Hollywood, I think he had done it in other cities. He, we know he lived in Boston. We know he lived in New York. Um, he lived in these other communities. And mm-hmm. so, and even from the other, the, uh, the other witness that we had, who he, we know he was doing it in Fresno. Right. Um, there was another story that I found online about Max Frank from someone who had been a, a student of his, And said that he'd been invited to Max Frank's home in Fresno as a student, and he got chills, and he didn't go. But one of his friends did, one of his fellow students did, and he never wanted to talk about it. Oh, dear. But he learned a few years later that his friend had died of AIDS. And so he made the connection that, oh, maybe this was a consensual um, behavior between a professor and a student. Or maybe it wasn't. And so there's a lot of Because, again,
1: that would have been a common protective thing Mm -hmm. to do as gay people in a university setting. Even then, it's like, okay, let's stick together. Let's look out for each other. Let's form a brotherhood. Mm -hmm. But if you've got a malevolent actor in there, they use that community for evil. Right. you know but, but the secrecy that would have developed around that would have been necessary for the survival mm-hmm. of some of those young men if they did want to sit and talk about boyfriends or whatever right. without being you know yeah. ostracized or kicked out of school right. you know
2: but I, and i also know that when young gay men went missing no one was looking for them right either and that's what that's what chills me about this this case is of all those young men. Now, I I reached out to uh, Dr. Lois Lee. I don't know if you know who she is. Mm -mm. She was the founder of Children of the Night.
1: Mm, Do you remember uh...
2: when Billy Newton uh, had his memorial service, his friends tried to raise money for a local charity called Children of the Night? Mm. That was a clue to me at the time of the investigation because it helped me see that Billy identified with one of those boys on Santa Monica yeah. Boulevard. Yeah. yeah. And when everyone was saying to me, Oh, Billy never never hustled on Santa Monica Boulevard, I'm
1: like, really? Yeah, Not we yet. we had even been told in some of our interviews that it had messed up the case, assuming that Bill the cops assumed he was a hustler and that they had interviewed some transgendered sex workers who had identified Billy. Mm-hmm. And that threw the case off course and now it's like
2: or it wasn't a
1: lane they didn't want to pursue maybe there was some instincts
2: there that they got distracted from that and that was sometimes because of billy's friends who were saying that he wasn't doing that work now i went back and interviewed them again later and found that that wasn't true yeah right right and that's natural right um but but uh, you know i i think that's what's important with some of these these looking for these victims is that that some of these guys came to west hollywood And as we know, at that time, people, it was very transient community at that time. People would come, they'd visit, they'd work here a year, they'd go back home. If they got sick, they oftentimes would just suddenly disappear. Disappearance was not unusual. There was Mm -hmm. no internet. There was no way to track people.
0: And these were people who were missing to begin with. They were missing intentionally. They had gone missing because that was their... Life skill they had gotten away from the environments that they All were right. leaving, they were missing. Yeah, by we, we
1: talked about, a, we covered a story called The Candyman Killer uh, in Houston, which is one of the more, oh. Dean Coral, I think was the killer's oh. name, oh. and one of the more disturbing gay serial killers, torture murders. And it took place, I think, in the 60s or the 70s. And Eric was bringing the insight that it was it was pretty common during that time for parents to sort of not know where their kids were. Right. There were a lot of runaways happening. Most of America experienced the hippie movement as a runaway epidemic. Mm-hmm. My kids, I can't talk to my kids. They're not sticking around. Try the summer of love. They might be over there. That was how it played out for mm-hmm. a lot of families. And that, that really hindered that investigation as well because they think there might be a lot more victims. Right. But this is a fascinating example of your approach because it's another example of the victim-centered approach, mm-hmm. right? The cops are going to say, well, if we got the guy who did it, we got the guy who did it. And you're saying, no, there's a family member out there right. who doesn't know they lost their loved one to Max Frank, and they deserve clarity Yes, at least. If it's not going to give them closure, they deserve clarity. And so what you're really looking for are those family members. You need to be— as well as, as
2: you know, I'm also aware that that perpetrators of extreme violence, these are not the only crimes they commit. They commit sexual assaults, other other abuses that happen. Right, and so I think of those those young men and boys who found themselves in his grasp, and they may not have been murdered, but they they experience some trauma, and I I want to provide make sure they get the the care they need. I yes. think that sort of means going back and making or the certain, acknowledgement, yeah, the acknowledgement and. You know, that's something we don't do enough of and sort of going back and through our own history of mm-hmm. uh, making certain that, you know, and maybe it's because I'm getting older. It's, you know, as I did with the Newton case, I had to go back into my own history to work on that case, understand the trauma that I had experienced in the
1: 1980s. So I'm going to ask you a question. I think you sort of touched on this in our last episode with you. You know, there is a difference between working on a case like this where you, you are in, in touch with your own trauma, right. a member of the community. And working on cases like the cold case murders in Michigan mm-hmm. of those those two women, mm-hmm. who were both straight women, you know, yeah. um, how is it is it a different part of your brain that you have to use? You talked about researching the cultures they came from and the communities they came from, but that's a lot of additional work as opposed, as opposed yeah. to what you had to do with Billy. Yeah, and I Max mean it's, Frank. it's
2: a it's a better fit, and it sort of comes from my work on the Newton case. Yeah, but then I also have to be careful. Because I'm always checking my bias. Right. Is my bias, is my own experience somehow clouding the direction that I'm going? Right. I need to look at actual evidence, real facts. Right. And right now, I have no evidence that Max Bernard Frank did murder anyone else. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I, I don't, I, I don't, I wouldn't claim that. I wouldn't, it's interesting. I think. Um,
0: but it's worth looking into because of the, the so yes, yeah. I, if you have any Past encounters <laughs> with Max Frank, or you know someone who did, or he took your picture, or you yes. were in a video at his house, or you we, have a male sibling who went
1: to Los Angeles during this period right. and just vanished, you know, right? And who was maybe William Newton yeah,
0: investigation. at gmail.com. Please.
2: Yeah, I'd love to talk and with you. And we will
0: pass that along to Clark, and we will get that. Uh, we will maybe help get some acknowledgement for your friend, or you, or for mm-hmm. if you want. Um, for having encountered this questionable, unusual, man, very unusual, unusual man. And an
2: unusual case, in the fact it, it, had, it had tons of headlines in Fresno about it, fewer headlines in Los Angeles, but just as quickly as it made headlines, it quickly disappeared. Because, frankly, there was another case just coming. Yeah. Right? They seemed to be coming repeatedly yes. through the 1980s. Yes, it really was. Beginning the time in the late was... 70s, of the cases you guys have covered, mm. there were no shortage of predators working in West Hollywood during those years. No. And, and you uh, always wonder, we, was it
0: on before? Is it still happening, or was it really just this time period? I night? was trying to
1: determine the residency of a potential witness who may have been in the bar in Rage Nightclub mm-hmm. the night Billy disappeared, and, and it turned out there was a connection between that this individual had been living with someone I knew from New Orleans, an old friend oh, of mine wow. during. And I called him, and he, didn't, he confirmed the address, but he didn't have much to say other than, And he was not a very, he was not a true crime junkie who spoke in (laughs) apocalyptic, dark undertones like we often do. He said somebody was out there. Men would just go missing. We all knew. We all knew somebody was out there. And I'm thinking it was more than one somebody. More than one somebody. You know.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I've had that experience in several places that I've lived. Yeah. There's somebody out there. And not just just in West Hollywood,
2: in in multiple places. I mean, my, my coming of age in the... The 1970s was John Wayne Gacy. Right? Yes. Oh, I mean, God. in Chicago, that was covered extensively in the, in the Midwest, and it was a it was definitely served up to me as a cautionary tale. Like, well, if you move, you're a gay guy, and you move to an urban area, yeah. you know, you're gonna get killed. Yeah, um, you know, and and so, you know, it was sort of used against gay people as well, like this whole idea of homosexual homosexual right. rage and this slippery
1: slope between loving another man and murdering a child right. who's a boy. I mean, that was how the Community. That's how the culture saw us yeah. during that oh, period. thankfully,
2: I do think there are far fewer of these today because, as I tell everybody, if you commit murder today, you are going to get caught, right? Right, because of DNA and it's just there's Ring cameras, cameras, cameras everywhere. <laughs> Ring cameras. Do not right. kill if you're thinking of killing. Do yes, not do it.
0: Right. Talk but, to a professional and maybe get some help and don't hurt anybody. That would yeah. be. Do not yeah. kill. Do not kill. That's a good. Always but I, good I think if kill. I can
2: find enough, you know, my partners in law enforcement will take what I have to say seriously. Yeah, yeah. I think I've. I've think i've earned my my stripes with them and so
0: at least to further look into it it's just with a the photographic evidence is the thing i would want to see like where are those photographs where are those pictures yes yes
2: but i i think of those boys i can't help it you know i like i said i'm very victim-centered and so while max frank is a fascinating character to me i don't like max frank no no he he killed someone yes right and someone who was loved and and wanted he had a future Right. Um, he never got a chance. He was 18 years old. Tracy knew it was 18 years old. Four months he might
0: actually have gone on to be the actor he that he wanted have. to be. Who knows? In four yeah, months there, he there
1: never got the chance There are plenty of famous be. actors who turned a trick or two in their day. <laughs> exactly. You know, plenty, and that's the other thing is we don't always talk about that pathway because the people who have traveled it to its zenith don't want to talk about where it started, yeah. understandably so, because of the stigma. But, yeah. you know, I mean, it's another argument for yeah. – the, the potential of all human well, I, beings. Well, I
2: think it's interesting to look – when I'm looking at uh, uh, suspectology, right, and looking at the art that people follow, what they read, the TV shows they like. I mean, um, um, you know, it's it's very helpful to, to see that. For example, The Exorcist 3, which mm. was the favorite film of Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. He was watching it as he committed these acts of violence, oh my God. right? Oh, and so, you know, if you're interested in Jeffrey Dahmer, you go and watch Exorcist 3 to see what was a he seeing, what was speaking to him. And in this case, the fact that The Day of the Locust was God, an important piece of work that spoke such, to him that
0: just right. gives, me gives me insight into I've what he I've only ever thinking. seen that movie once, and I don't think I could ever see it again. It was a very disturbing film.
1: Well, the book is a, an iconic L.A. Is, novel. Right. I've never read it, and I didn't. I don't know if it's as disturbing as the movie, but my God. Well, yeah. I'm going
2: to give you an assignment, Christopher. Go Well, I
1: mean, is there a movie that, I mean, that's what I'm sitting here hoping is that we all have a movie that kind of defines us. But it's about light and the things yeah. we truly believe about the world. You know, like I, I have some dark movies, but they're more morality tales. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I can't imagine going down that path with a serial killer. That's yes. quite a dark journey. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, we thank you for coming Absolutely. here again. Absolutely. Well, I and I hope, yeah. I Thank and, you uh, for the opportunity. We'll let you know if we hear from anybody and maybe Please. we can Absolutely. talk more about this terrible Reach man, out. this terrible Max.
1: William Newton, investigation at gmail.com is still the email address you can use any to email tips us. about Max yeah.
0: Frank, we're... Wide open to hear them. All right, sounds great. Thank, Thank you, you for Clark. having
1: me. I'm Christopher Rice, and I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you
0: have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com/slash/The Dinner Party Show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show.
1: Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right! At Facebook.com slash TheDinnerPartyShow. No, I meant in the car. Eric? Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books.
0: And fuck Christopher Rice
1: This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad. Holy crap! That, I mean, have the,
0: we found that, another serial killer?
1: I, I, you know, I, 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 think, I, I do believe that. I do. Yes. There's
0: just enough there. It's hard to believe. Like, on the one hand, it's like, okay, it's really amateur time to have rented a chainsaw and then returned it without cleaning it. But, but as you pointed out, maybe it was just, he lost access to the method that he usually used. I, I,
1: but the returning of it, that's the thing. Like, it's just
0: all of it is just so baffling. I just, I, I, there's a real case for it. It's the, it's the, the photographic evidence I really think needs to come back to the surface. That's going to be the real, and we're looking for tips.
1: Yeah. William Newton Investigation at gmail.com is the email address that we use for tips on the Billy case. We're now using that email address for any tips, any information that you want to get to Clark Williams by way of this show. About Max Frank. Max or Frank. Your
0: encounters with him or your knowledge of the area or, or friends if who might have. A
1: you are connected to anyone who lost a young man in Los Angeles during this time period, during the during the 80s, I should say all of the 80s and the 90s. If anyone in your family who was perhaps rumored to be struggling with their sexuality ran off to the city of Los Angeles and was never heard from again, it's possible that they were one of the sort of children of the night, as they called them at one point. And right. so because what it's, what's really clear to me, I, and I mean, I said it, I think, a bunch of times just now is that Clark needs to be because Clark has chosen to advocate for victims above and beyond whether or not their killer is in jail. And he has chosen to shine a light on who their killer is, regardless of whether or not the killer has gone down for the other crimes, he really needs to be connected to those family members. He really needs that relationship, I think, to drive this forward and electrify this effort. So,
0: it's very much yeah. a part of the the Clark Williams method.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay, investigation at gmail.com. That's the address. We may change the name of that address or it may always say that in honor of Billy's memory. Well, I
0: kind of love that. But yeah. yeah, it's probably something... The tip line, the TDPS tips. Absolutely.
1: We'll talk about it. We'll talk. We talk about a lot of things we forget to do here at TDPS. The yeah, because, you know,
0: we're amateur producers as well <laughs> as amateur sleuths.
1: <laughs> we're just amateurs, is really That's what we're That's right. We are just which Citi- means
0: people who do things that they love.
1: Citizen producers. That's what we'll call ourselves. <laughs> Citizen podcasters here at TDPS. Mm. All right. I'm Christopher Rice.
0: And uh, Christopher apparently is done with the show for today. So
1: I am just I have so much but Clark has my head spinning. I want to go home and research stuff. It's,
0: yes, it's time. And so we'll yeah, be man. back next week with another episode. But until then, you uh, are Christopher Rice. And I am Eric Shaw Quinn. And it and <laughs> I forgot how our closer goes. And
1: you've been listening and to And you've to been listening to T D P S presents Christopher and Eric.
0: Thanks. You're great at this.
1: (laughs) This is TDPS.